0: it's good to be back with all of you this morning it's hard to believe that last time i had a chance to share a message with you was the end of april at the end of my internship here at vox but i also wanted to thank christopher and the vox staff for inviting me back again i guess i didn't ruin my place the last time too bad to invite me back to share some more words with you and it's good to see everyone this morning So maybe you're going to be happy about what I'm going to speak about, maybe not. Um, But we're going to talk about fear today. And I'm, I'm not going to ask a question about who's had fear, because that's kind of a silly question. We've all had fearful thoughts probably multiple times a day. But I guess what I want to ask is, have you had a time when you feared something, and then after the event happened or the exchange with someone that you were having that fearful thought about, You said to yourself, or maybe even out loud, I can't believe I was afraid of that. Anybody? Not as many as I thought. (laughs) Uh, um. (laughs) But reflect on that time, how it felt in your mind and body when that fearful thought was happening, right? In the emotional part of you. It's a gripping sensation, fear, right? But does it eventually pass? Yes. But it's downright awful when you're experiencing it in the moment. I remember being about nine or ten years old and my friend's family invited me to their swim club. I grew up outside of Philadelphia and I had never been to a swim club before. So you get there, there's a big Olympic swimming pool and then there was a diving pool, a separate diving pool with a low dive and a high dive. And I remember my friends like, yeah, it's so fun to go off the high dive, you know, can't wait for you to go off it. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I'm tapping out. No, that's not. That's not for me, there was this fear about jumping off. But he kind of pressured me and so I, I got in the line and it's like this long line of kids. I finally climb up the ladder and every step that I took, I got more fearful and I remember looking over my shoulder and it seemed like the cement was getting further and further away from me. So I get up to the top of the diving board, I stand up on the board and I, my hands have like a death grip on the railings and I look at it and the board is so long. And all I can think about was I'm on a plank of a pirate ship about to jump to my demise. Well interestingly, it took three times that day for me to go off the board. I went back down the ladder two other times. And I remembered having that fear and it seemed like it was getting worse. But it wasn't just the fear of jumping off the high dive that got me now, now I had a new fear the fear of being ridiculed and criticized. So it's getting to the end of the day and my friend's family was starting to gather things to head out and I'm saying to myself, it's now or never, it's now or never. So I, with determination, went over to the diving board, climbed the ladder very quickly, got up on the board, shuffled down and jumped off. And I landed in the water, just fine. I come up out of the water just fine and the fear was gone. And actually what replaced it was a sense of jubilation, a fear of being unencumbered. It was gone. How was I able to jump off on the third try, but not the first two? What was different? So after a long reflection on this, I came up with two things. The first I was determined to. It's not that I wasn't determined the first time, but there was this sense that there was a back out. There was a resolve this time. The second one was that there was no more time to decide. I had to act. It was now or never. I think the urgency with the lack of time deepened my determination and my resolve. There was no longer any more time to contemplate it, to do it later. There was no later. In today's scripture that Lindsay shared with us, Jesus is imploring his disciples not to be afraid, to be ready, whatever that means. But to begin our exploration together this morning, it makes sense to glance back to what was happening just prior to this passage. Jesus had offered his disciples the parable of the rich man who asked, what am I to do with my harvest? My barn is not big enough to hold it all. I know the man said, I'll tear down my barn and I'll build a bigger one. There was a sense of anxiety and fear about security in the future. The rich man wanted certainty and a sense now that all will be secure then. Then Jesus shared in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add one single hour to your span of life? If then you're not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? So now coming back to our text this morning, which comes from the inclusive Bible translation, Jesus offers us this in verse 32. Fear not, little flock. For it pleases your parent to give you the kingdom. Jesus is telling them right from the beginning. There's no need to fear. Actually, versions of do not fear, including do not be afraid, fear not, have no fear, be not afraid, appear 365 times in the Bible. Some biblical scholars say that this number, which represents the the number of days in a year, is God's daily reminder to us. To have no fear. So then what is fear? So it's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to, be, to cause a pain or a threat. The example they use is, he is prey to irrational fears. To be afraid of someone or something is likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening. Farmers fear that they will lose their business. I had to take note that both of those examples given by the dictionary definition was fear that was anticipated in the future, causing anxiety now. And they didn't specifically indicate bodily danger like physical death, but more of emotional danger. So digging a little further, I came across Dr. Carl Albrecht, a contributor to Psychology Today. Who identifies five types of fear. The first is extinction, the fear of annihilation, of ceasing to exist. This is more than just a fear of death or how we might die. It strikes at the very heart of our, of our fear that we would simply no longer be. Dr. Albrecht calls this existential anxiety. It's that panicky feeling that we get when we get on the edge, to the edge of a tall building or when we think too deeply about a deadly disease. Fear of the dark, fear of flying, fear of heights, fear of fatal diseases, or this type. The second one, the second fear is that of bodily injury or mutilation. The fear of having our body's boundaries invaded or of losing a natural function. This would be any fear where we physically feel unsafe or under attack. This might be fear of spiders or snakes or animals or sharks or bears this is also anxiety about crowds, needles, germs, surgical procedures, or having to make a trip to the dentist. The third type of fear is loss of autonomy, the fear of being restricted, confined, trapped, suffocated. As Dr. Albrecht puts it, the fear of being immobilized, paralyzed, restricted, enveloped, overwhelmed, entrapped, imprisoned, smothered or otherwise controlled by circumstances beyond our control. When it's a physical fear, it's called claustrophobia, right? But, if our, but our fear of being smothered or restricted, unable to take care of ourselves or dependent on others, can also apply to situations in our lives, in our relationships internally. These might be fear of commitment, fear of debilitating illness or aging. In addition, situations where we feel helpless or powerless. When we feel out of control, lacking agency, overwhelmed, trapped, and restricted in an emotional sense. The fourth one is that of being abandoned or rejected. We humans have a strong need to belong. This is a huge fear for me. Dr. Albrecht refers to a loss of connectedness, of becoming a non-person. Not wanted or respected or valued by anyone else, which literally threatens our well-being and survival. These might be when a relationship ends, a friendship, a divorce, a death of a loved one. This type of fear can also be, con- be triggered when a relationship deepens. With that, an experience of vulnerability. What happens if this person that I really love leaves me? So there's a fear of intimacy. Intimacy. An argument or a disagreement with someone important to us at home or at work. Have you ever noticed when someone ignores us and gives us the silent treatment, it often feels worse than being yelled at? The last fear is the fear of humiliation, shame, and worthlessness, or what Dr. Albrecht calls ego death. We all need to feel lovable, worthy of love, and and, and valued in the world order to have a healthy relationship with ourselves and others. Shame can be an excruciating feeling, something many of us will go to great lengths to avoid. Not only can it leave us feeling physically sick, we want to crawl into a hole and disappear. When we're ashamed and humiliated, it can threaten or destroy our belief in our own worth. Our perceived lovability and our perceived value in the world is threatened. Without that, we can feel like we're nobody. But feelings of shame and worthlessness are often triggered by a perceived expectation of judgment or criticism from either ourselves or others when we mess up, like losing one's job. That was a big fear for me when I was fired from a prominent job a little over a decade ago. It's often our unconscious projection onto others that they see us as not worthy and can lead to shame. In actuality, I received tremendous support from others during that difficult time in my life. The perception was not even close to the reality. Actually, they were quite opposite. So there are real fears, like imminent physical danger, like the first two that were on that list. But most of the fears that we have are emotionally based and often perceived as something that will or might happen in the future, affecting our ability to be at peace now. They contaminate our present moment experience and lead us to closing off from ourselves and the world around us. Thinking back to my fear of jumping off that high dive became worse because I had time to think about it. The first two attempts had time as an option or maybe better as a crutch to let me reason about why the fear was legitimate, to talk myself into being worthy of that fear. It was only then, when there was no time left to contemplate it, did I react. The last three are internal fears that can occur when we can think, reflect, compare and contrast, and use our imagination to intensify the fears, possibly with the availability of time. But they are internal, in the mind, creating anxiety and fear of something that might happen in the future, ruining our moment to feel free and unencumbered now. I believe that that was what Jesus was talking about when he said, fear not. He was talking about how we worry about all of life that is out of our control. And isn't that most of our life out of our control? Jesus was referring to the projected fears that lead to separating thoughts and then separating behaviors now. Dr. David Hawkins, a PhD and MD that has done pioneering work in the research in the areas of human consciousness and has been an advisor to the Catholic and reformed traditions, as well as to the Buddhist tradition. He offers us this from his book, Letting Go. The many faces of fear are familiar to us all. We have felt free-floating anxiety or panic. We have been paralyzed and frozen by fear with its accompanying palpitations and apprehension. Worries are chronic fears. Paranoia is its extreme. In milder forms of fear, we are merely uneasy. When it is more severe, we become scared, cautious, blocked, tense, shy, speechless, superstitious, defensive, distrustful, threatened, insecure, Dreading, suspicious, timid, trapped, guilty, and full of stage fright. Yikes. We've all felt these at all, one time or another. As I kept reading Hawkins' section on fear, he offered this list, and it really hit home how prevalent fear is. There is fear of pain and suffering, fear of living, fear of loving, fear of closeness, fear of rejection. Fear of failure, fear of God, fear of hell, fear of damnation, fear of poverty, fear of ridicule and criticism, fear of being trapped, fear of being inadequate, fear of danger, fear of disapproval, fear of boredom, fear of responsibility, fear of making a decision, fear of authority, fear of punishment, fear of change. How about that one? Fear of loss of security, fear of losing control, fear of feelings themselves Fear of manipulation, fear of being found out, and fear of fear itself. That's a crazy list, isn't it? How many of those types of fears are possibly projections of our internal worlds? Almost all of them, I would contend. And Jesus is imploring his disciples to fear not, as he shared in that earlier verse, to stop worrying. So what can we do about it? We often feel like the fears have us, right? So coming back to the text from this morning, we continue with verse 33, 34. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that don't wear out, treasures that won't fail you in heaven, that thieves can't steal and moths can't destroy. For wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Jesus is teaching that worrying and fearing potential emotional danger is like a purse that wears out, losing all of its contents. He's telling us to sell our possessions. We always read this passage about material things only. What if the possessions that Jesus refers to are those fears that possess us? These possessions that we sell can include the fears of loving, of vulnerability, ridicule and criticism, inadequacy the fear of change, the fear of loss of security, and on and on, as Hawkins' lengthy list suggests. The fears of God, damnation, and hell are those fears that come with the long-held belief that relationship with God is a reward and punishment system. Last week in our Centering Prayer lexio service that we do online, the leader led us in a Colossians passage. And one of the phrases in that, in that text were, these are sins which provoke God's wrath. When we are unaware of the thoughts and behaviors that separate us from ourselves, others, and God, the consequences can be painful. Sometimes what is referred to as sin. But when we miss the mark, we, we are then punished for them by God? Or is it that we subconsciously blame God or project onto God that it must be God's retribution for this consequence to happen? Can we possibly accept that our separating thoughts that lead us to separating behaviors lead us to a consequence on their own? And that God is waiting for us to let go of those fears and accept this heaven? Jesus talks of making purses that don't wear out and calls them treasures that won't fail you in heaven, that thieves can't steal and moths can't destroy. This type of purse is solid, one that holds up. Remember, for it pleases God to give us the kingdom. Feel that. Heaven. Not after we pass from this plane of existence only, but now. Right now. Take some time to explore the construction of your purse. And who are the thieves and the moths? Are they really outside us in the form of other people or events? Or are they really our own false internal voices that project the belief that pain and suffering are to come in the future, robbing us like thieves of our happiness, our heaven experience here and now? Returning to the text in verse 35 and 37, it says, "'Be dressed and ready and keep your lamps lit. "'It will go well with those staff members "'whom the owner finds wide awake upon returning I tell you the absolute truth, the owner will put on an apron, seat them at table, and proceed to wait on them. What does it mean when this passage says it will go well with those staff members whom the owner finds wide awake upon returning? Well, maybe this little story can illustrate. So my wife and I, a few years ago, took a vacation slash retreat to the new Kamaldoli Hermitage in Big Sur, California. We wanted time to rejuvenate and reflect, then to get away from our kids. <laughs> but when, you know when you register for a trip somewhere, you get on the mailing list, right so that, you know, even though that was years ago, I still get the newsletter in the mailbox and the monthly newsletter from the new Kemalali Hermitage each month, and usually, I quickly delete it. but for some reason, I, I kind of clicked on it this week this this past couple of weeks ago, and it had a story written by a person that had visited there and his experience was much like ours. So the story is his, the pictures are from when Anna and I took the trip and his story went like this. After a six hour flight and a two hour car rental ordeal, I drove five and a half hours from Los Angeles airport to Big Sur. As night rolled in, my cell signal dropped the closer I got to my destination of new commodity hermitage. Driving hairpin, one-lane turns on a mountain road, I couldn't get there fast enough. On one side was only what I could assume was the Pacific Ocean coastline, but all I saw was blackness. The other side was straight-up mountainside, no streetlights. I managed to get to the monastery, found my room, and collapsed after a long day of travel. The next morning, I arose and went to explore the grounds. I was there for 48 hours of silent retreat. No speaking, no cell signal, nothing but me, God, and God's beautiful creation. I was there to ask some big questions, to settle my spirit down enough to listen and actually hear. I was hoping to walk away with a plan. As I walked, the road was lined with benches overlooking the magnificent Pacific Ocean coastline from high atop the mountain. At about the third bench, I felt God whisper to me to lean close. God wanted to speak into what I had come for. I was told to look to the left. It was mountain, coastline, and the fog rolling in. Then straight ahead, ocean as far as the eye could see. Then to the right, more rolling hills and mountains of greenery. Then God said, this is what I mean when I can say I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And here's the thing. This was here all along. You drove through all this last night. You just couldn't see it because it wasn't time. Because you were traveling in darkness. But now it's light and you can see. I'm giving you a bird's eye view. I have so much for you. Let's not forget it's God's great pleasure To give us the kingdom, remember? Feel that. But sometimes, oftentimes, I believe we miss it traveling in darkness. It's there all along. We're just not wide awake to see it. Dressed and ready with our lamps lit. Byron Katie, an American author and speaker that teaches a method of self-inquiry which allows people to observe their lives in a non-critical, non-judgmental way to help separate from fearful illusions and projections by asking four questions. But before she gives them the four questions, she asks them to write down their fears very specifically. Here are the questions. Question one, is it true? The question can change your life. Be still and ask yourself if this fearful thought you wrote down is true. Question two, can you absolutely know it's true? This is another opportunity to open the mind and to go deeper into the unknown, to find the answers that live beneath what we think we know or believe. Question three, how do you react? What happens when you believe that fearful thought? With this question, you begin to notice internal cause and effect. You can see that when you believe the thought, there is a disturbance that can range from mild discomfort to fear or panic. What do you feel? How do you treat the person or the situation you've written about? How do you treat yourself when you believe this thought? Make a list and be specific, she says. Question four, who would you be without that fearful thought? Imagine yourself in the presence of that person or that fearful situation without believing in that thought. How would your life be different if you didn't have the ability to even think that stressful thought? How would you feel? Which do you prefer? Life with or without that fearful thought? Which feels kinder, more peaceful? Coming back to the text in verse 39 and 40, understand this no homeowner who knew when a thief was coming would have let the thief break in. So be on guard. The promised one will come when least expected. See, unfortunately, the combination of these two verses, one after the other, in this passage has led to Christ's coming or second coming, whatever that, how you look at it as something to be feared comparing the promised one to a thief coming in the night. It's a foreboding combination. And I think a poor one, I believe Jesus was referring to being ready wide awake, not to be on guard as in being in a defensive posture with fearful anticipation of what might happen when we are wide awake, dressed, We are in a state of self-observation. We lovingly, non-critically get to reflect on what those internal voices say to us and let us really test them with those questions. Are we unconsciously giving away our heaven now, happiness and peace for projected fears that rob us from our present moment experience? This is actually Christ's invitation to us to bring Christ into our worlds. And when we do, When we choose love for ourselves and others over fear, Christ will come when least expected. But not to judge, but to renew us as people made in God's image and likeness and to renew the relationships to others as well in the world around us. And this renewal will offer the feeling of expansiveness to us that I finally felt when I jumped off that diving board. You all know what that is, that exhilaration. Right, Norma? (laughs) These kingdom moments will open our eyes to see the beauty all around us that was hidden from us in darkness of fear. We'll feel happiness and joy in who we are and take more daring steps into vulnerability and change. For God is with us. My wish is that we can have more moments when we look back at those anxiety and fears and say, I didn't need to be afraid leading to future moments when we won't fear them or certainly fear them less, when very clearly the promised one will will arrive when least expected and we get to say, I'm so glad you're here. Amen.